take time to look at the entrance to the bar Jimmy Allen's and the surrounding building, tucked under the northwest side of Elvert Bridge. This is part of a house of correction, a prison, constructed in 1634 with the popular drinking spot being named after its most famous prisoner, James Allen, or Jimmy, as he was known. He achieved celebrity status in his lifetime, and much has been written about him. A book called A New, Improved and Authentic Life of James Allen was published in 1828, with a new edition being released as recently as 2017. It's forward observing that memories of Jimmy have been published by various persons and have commanded different degrees of attention and approbation. In essence, Jimmy Allen was regarded as a likeable rogue who occasionally found himself on the wrong side of the law. He was born in a gypsy camp near Rothbury and at one time was the official piper to the Duke of Northumberland, playing the Northumbrian pipes, bellow-blown pipes, not mouth-blown like the Scottish bagpipes, but with a gentler, sweeter sound. In 1803, Jimmy was convicted of robbery and sentenced to death, though the sentence was never carried out. First, he was granted a pardon by King George III on condition he be transported to Australia, and then, as his health deteriorated, a petition was raised asking King George to grant a free pardon. This was finally given, but was too late. The pardon arrived in Durham a few days after Jimmy had died, whilst in prison. It is possible the Duchess of Northumberland was his petitioner. It is said that if you stand by Elvet Bridge at midnight, you can hear the ghost of Jimmy Allen playing his pipes. There is a fascinating publication called A History of the County of Durham by William Page, which was published in three volumes in 1928. It tells the life of the city and wider county from its very beginnings. It references settlements ahead of the arrival of the community of St Cuthbert up to its date of publication. In a section about the latter part of the 17th century, there is a very telling throwaway line that states, Regular stagecoaches did not yet run. The Great North Road developed from medieval times as a coaching route from London to Edinburgh, reaching its peak ahead of the opening of the public railways in the 1820s and 30s. The section from York to Edinburgh was the last section to be established and at the time of the comment did not exist as a regular mail coach route. The persistent Anglo-Scottish wars from the 14th century to the 16th century and border reaver activity, that is constant fighting and raiding between border families, each fighting to survive in what were sparse, isolated conditions, made it too dangerous. Geoffrey Watson, in his book The Border Reavers, states, Two and a half centuries of violent, if intermittent, warfare between England and Scotland were enough to reduce the borders to a charred wilderness. When armies were not on the march, frontier raids were encouraged by both sides in order to wear down the enemy, so much so that for centuries, men living within 50 miles of the border could rarely go to sleep without fear of attack. Sir Walter Scott lived from 1771 to 1832 and came from a Scottish border family. There are many references to the border reavers in his writing. His poem, The Lay of the Last Minstrel, tells of the border wars through the voice of a minstrel, as this extract shows. 
The last of all the bards was he, who sung of border chivalry, for Welliday their date was fled, his tuneful brethren all were dead. In 1707, the Act of Union brought together England and Scotland within one legal framework, rather than them being two separate countries that happened to share the same monarch. This allowed for further development of the Great North Road from Yorkshire to Edinburgh. As the route developed, coming directly through the medieval streets of Durham and beyond to Newcastle and Scotland, so did the activity of highwaymen. Nigel Green, in his book Tough Times and Grisly Crimes, tells the tale of highwayman Robert Hazlitt robbing and killing his victims as they travelled on an infamous stretch of the Great North Road on the approach into Gateshead, about 10 miles north of Durham. Hazlitt was finally caught and hanged in Durham in 1770, and Green describes how his corpse was then thrown into a cart and carried to Gateshead Fell, where it was hung in a gibbet close to the scenes of his crimes. The frequent robbery stopped, indicating Hazlitt was the main culprit. A gibbet is a structure where the body of an executed criminal was hung in full public view to act as a deterrent to other budding criminals. The practice was formally stopped in the 1930s. Now proceed back onto Elvet Bridge and to Palace Green, the centre of the Durham UNESCO World Heritage Site. As you go, look for a blue door with a blue plaque above it on the west side of Sadler Street, shortly before the turn up Owen Gate that leads to Palace Green. <laughs>